these, everybody wanted these. I mean, everybody wanted these. And there are still some floating around. These are original. These are from 1961 when Stratton first started. And I mean, I think that's just so cool. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. I spent a lot of time at Stratton Mountain as a child and in my teens and 20s, too. Stratton Mountain opened in 1961, and I've felt connected to the mountain ever since my parents started skiing there in the 1970s. I skied in the resort's Little Cub program, watched John McEnroe play in the resort's Volvo International Tennis Tournament, and would meet up with old friends at the mountain every year to see the U.S. Open Snowboarding Championships. My brother Robert, who now lives in California, was a ski instructor for seven seasons at Stratton Ski School, which was founded and headed by Emo Henrich. Emo, who passed away in 2009, was not only an exceptional skier, but he was an artist too. He was a woodcarver, a musician, and a painter. He ran the Birkenhaus Inn at Stratton and had a wood shop. Jake Burton, who worked at the Birkenhaus Inn, spent his spare time in Emo's woodshop developing early prototypes of Burton snowboards. Emo mentored Jake, critiquing the boards and helping with the design. Another Stratton artist, photographer Hubert Schriebel, has been taking photos at Stratton for nearly 60 years. He came to Stratton on Christmas Eve in 1964 after being hired by Emo to teach at Stratton Ski School. A few years later, Hubert became Stratton's official photographer. Today, Hubert is still creating iconic photos of the mountain. I mention Emo and Hubert because the roles at the mountain planted the seeds for two things that are alive and well at Stratton, an artistic spirit and an impressive historic archive. Kimmet Hand, who started working at Stratton as a teenager in the late 1960s, has been collecting everything Stratton-related for decades. She curates and organizes everything from trail maps and event posters and trail signs to wooden signs carved by Emo and photographs taken by Hubert. Here's Kimmet. I am the self-appointed official coordinator of the Stratton Archives, and I've been doing that since I started work here in 1969. And I just collected everything, every brochure, every Stratton magazine, every Stratton, at that time it was the Stratton Mountain News, matchbooks, my pay stubs. I mean, I saved everything. And then eventually it, we brought it all up here to the, it was in my garage in Manchester for a long time. We brought it up here. How did you know to start collecting things from Stratton. I think it's a sickness. <laughs> I love the fact that I worked there. I was only 15 years old when I first started. And I started in December. And because I was too young, I couldn't get paid. So I never got paid till the following June, when I turned 16 and could have an official W-2. And I'm telling you, I thought I was like, you know, on the Forbes 100 richest list. It was the highlight of my life when I got that check. And it was for several thousand dollars at that point, because I'd worked all winter. But I just loved everything about Stratton, and I, I just kept saving things in little boxes and whatever, and I moved them from, I lived here on Stratton, I lived in Bonville, I lived in South Londonderry, and eventually moved to Manchester, and it all came along with me till it, it got so much that I said, we, you know, we need to do something here, we need to put this uh, stuff. So we, the 50th was a fabulous time because 
everybody was interested and I was able to bring a lot up, but I still needed, we did have a storage unit for a while, but once things went in there, I couldn't even get them. They were all in there. So now this, I can come and work here and get what I need. And there's a constantly new items being unearthed or, you know, they find, find them on eBay or whatever people donate them. So eventually my goal would be to have a fabulous not a museum. I'd like to see someone, perhaps Stratton, build a lovely restaurant, cafe, and have all glass, lockable glass display cases. And then a lot of these, the signs certainly could get screwed into the wall. They don't need to be in a display case. But all the other things that I have, like Amor Hendrick's tuba from the Stratton Mountain Boys and John Newcomb's Seasons Pass when he was here and all kinds of other things could be displayed there. So I hope that happens during my lifetime because I would like to be able to, you know, right. be a part of that and, and set up that display. But until then, things are safe here and I can come in and work and I have big boxes that just need to be gone through and separated, put all the brochures in order. But the funny thing is nowadays, people, Stratton and lots of places are not printing anymore. They're not printing brochures. They're not, they, print, they do still print a trail map. And I do get the Stratton magazine, which has some things about Stratton these days. And I have every issue of the Stratton Mountain News since it started in 1961. And I have all those filed in order. And, you know, every once in a while I sit down on the floor with my cup of tea and read through all the old stuff. And I just, I just love it. But people call me too and ask, could you tell me what year we enlarged the Sun Bowl Base Lodge? And I have a way to go back and do that. But it's all manual. This is not digitized at all. That's my next project, digitizing. Well, I mean, I have a, there's a software program called Past Perfect. And if I can afford to purchase that for the archives and then actually spend the time putting everything in and scanning things so that they're easily available. I mean, it's, I could work 40 hours a week for the rest of my life and probably still not get this completely digitized, but it's worth trying. And I do have some people who will come in and help me. And it's great when I bring people who were here in the 70s or 80s, because I don't have to explain much to them. They can look at a picture and say, "That's I know that's Hubert Treble, or that's Amo Henrik. I know that. If So most of the my friends and volunteers who come in to help do have some institutional knowledge, and it makes it a little bit easier to get through. You said how much you love this work. What do you love most about being an archivist for Stratton? I love knowing, I guess, that I, I've saved the history because, you know, people in the 60s and 70s, nobody cared about the history. There was no history. It was, it was present. But as it got older and things became, all of a sudden you looked at it and said, wow that's really cool. Look how old that is. Or look at those skis with those, you know, they don't really have bindings and they have those long thon things and look at this and look at that. So I just like keeping it all together. I'm hoping that it will, as I said, eventually be all in one place. So people, and people who have never been here before, like this as much as people who were here in the 60s and 70s. They think it's cool to see, for example, this is a tennis ball that Ivan Lendl, it's a bronze now tennis ball that Ivan Lendl hit at the Volvo tennis tournament. There's a picture of John Newcomb that is Mayor John Lindsay and Otto, one of our ski instructors, and Tanya Morgan. John Lindsay was the mayor of New York City back in the 60s and 70s. That's Paul Newman with my ex-husband, Tex Laidlaw. So all these pictures and most of these 
99.9% were taken by Hubert Schriebel, and he is still taking pictures to this day. But that's his own business now, and I just do this as a volunteer. So we share pictures back and forth. He'll take pictures of an event and then send them to me so I can put them in the digital archives of photographs. And he has quite a collection, too. I hope he's got his all organized better than I do. Do you think Stratton is unique in a way to have someone like Hubert and then someone like you archiving? Like, you have such a collection here. Is that is that a normal thing for ski areas? I think probably. I don't know if there's anybody at Bromley who does that. I don't know if there's someone who's doing that over there. I hope there is because they're even older than we are. Stratton started in 1961. And of course, the Vermont Ski Museum up in Stowe, I work with them. And if I get donations that are ski related, but not specific to Stratton or Vermont, they were specific to Vermont or skiing in general, then I will send them up to Poppy Gall, who is the board chair of the Vermont Ski Museum. You know, I would loan them some of these things. If they had an exhibit, for example, on Stratton, well, I guess I'd be able to come in here and load up a truck and drive to Stowe. But I do think it will be worthwhile to get a lot of the photographs scanned and digitized. And part of the challenge of that is how, how do you do it? Do you do all the ski photos do you do summer, winter? Do you do chronological? Do you do people and buildings? Do, you know, how do you do that? So I'm hoping that that past perfect program will help get me organized. And then the only other thing I need is a lot of time to do that, which I, I usually come up here. It's so sort of overwhelming sometimes. If I come up, I have to plan to stay for six or eight hours because one, it's like looking at your old, you know, you start looking through things and you start reading things like, oh, look at this. That was always in that adorable. Look at this. And, you know, next thing you know, it's five o'clock. It's time to go. (laughs) So, yeah, I do like it. And and I'm not the only one. There are lots of other people who who value this. So I think that's part of the appeal is that they know that I'm saving it. And if they need to come over and, you know, find something or, or look through, I'm happy to do that. I just wish I had a slightly larger space, but I'm very grateful for the space that I have, which this is an old, or not old, this is a condominium that was not finished. So it's perfect for me because I, I can't hurt it really. And it's heated and it has lights and, you know, has room for, and it's locked. So it's, it's good for me to work in. Yeah. And Amo did a lot of the carved signs. I don't know. Probably Amo. Well, no, he probably carved. So this, I'm guessing, this is an Amo sign. He probably carved these little letters and then some carved this and then put this on here for private lessons. Amo was a multi-talented person. Not only did he teach skiing, he was a woodworker and an, an artist. And so he designed a lot of signs and he made a lot of his own signs. So this is an Amo sign. And then, of course, the ones that are highly prized on the black market are trail signs so now what would happen again is when they let's say the whole stratton resort signage went to a different font they would pull all these down and throw them in the stump dump and shortly thereafter people would crawl over the dump and pull out what they wanted amo painted these and these were all over the outside of the second floor of the base lodge. So there were probably, one day I looked at a picture and counted them. I think there were like 18 maybe. I have two. I have this one and one other one that I don't think I can get to. These, everybody wanted these. I mean, 
everybody wanted these. And there are still some floating around. These are original. These are from 1961 when Stratton first started. And I mean, I think that's just so cool because they represented the places in Austria where the early instructors came from. Stratton is one of a handful of Vermont ski areas that still makes its signs in-house rather than outsourcing. Mike Smith, who became interested in sign making as a child, was hired by Stratton in 1990. He makes and installs just about every sign you can think of at the resort. Trail signs, directional signs, and welcome signs. And when Mike comes across old signs from a bygone era he can no longer use, he passes them along to Kimmet for the archive. Whenever I'm up here, I'll usually call Mike on the way up the access road and say, got anything for me? <laughs> and he'll go, I'll go over there to his shop and he'll unscrew something from the wall and say, you can have this one, you can have that one. So that's really where I've gotten most of my signs. These signs in the old days when they were being replaced or updated or upgraded, they took the old sign down and it went over to the maintenance building, which is kind of a dump dump over there. And the signs just got thrown out. And then homeowners figured that out and they went over and picked through the stump dump and took the signs that they loved for their own chalet. Then when Mike and I got together, he started, he realized the value of those signs when he became 30 years ago, he became the sign person. And I, as I said, I've been doing this since 1969. So we started saving them and realized they had value. So this is one of my favorite ones, the ski school sign. But had we not saved this, some enterprising young chalet owner would have taken found this and it would be sitting in a, a chalet on the mountain somewhere. So we keep it so that it can be on display, which it was during the 50th anniversary in 2006. And then I do occasional displays if, you know, if there's an event. We did a little bit for the 60th anniversary. I'm not sure I'm going to be here for the 100th, but... <laughs> Someone will be able to take this sign say that Kimmet saved this for the 100th anniversary. On the same day I visited Kimmet to browse through the Stratton archives, I also met up with Mike and senior marketing manager Lauren Suriani to learn about the sign-making process. Mike and Lauren have worked together for more than a decade at Stratton. Lauren, who's a graphic designer, works with Mike in the sign shop and has a sign-making business of her own on the side. Mike is her sign-making mentor. Here's Mike, who starts off talking about his start in sign-making. And Lauren joins us in a bit, too. Well, it, it started with my best friend's father, who was a automotive paint salesman, a musician, and a part-time sign painter. So when I was 10, 11, 12, 14, when I'd go over to their house once in a while, I'd see him sitting in the driveway, lettering the doors of a truck or something. And I was fascinated by that. So, you know, fast forward, I get out of high school, I go into a community college graphic arts program, but I always had this burning desire to get into the sign world. But I ha I'd had no idea how. So I went to a couple of local sign shops in Syracuse, New York, where I grew up. And nobody wanted to hire someone without any experience. So they had mentioned to me that there was a school in Boston called the Butera School of Art that had a two-year course in hand lettering and sign design and sign fabrication and everything. So at that time, Boston was on the other side of the planet to me, so I never thought anything more about it. But a couple years later, Lo and behold, I end up living in Boston. 
checked into this school, sure enough, enrolled the following fall and went through the complete two-year course. And while I was going to school, I was working in a shop also a couple nights a week, Saturdays, just to get all the experience I could get. And after I left that program, I went right into the sign world. And back then, there were no computerized graphics. There was no computers involved. Everything was hand-lettered. Maybe you used a projector to blow something up to trace a logo or something, but it was all done by hand. And it really was a fascinating skill for me. You know, with some artistic background, I was able to take that and do something I really was interested in. So I worked for a couple of shops in the Boston area. One February day, I got a call from the owner of the school. He had an opening in the, you know, the first year program, wanted to know if I wanted to come back and teach. So I spent two years teaching the first year program that I had gone through maybe eight years before. You know, did that for two years. And then, you know, I was working uh, on my own, mainly doing vehicle lettering, truck lettering, custom pinstriping, airbrush work, all that kind of stuff. And my stepson was graduating from high school. And my wife and I thought this is a perfect time to get out of the metropolitan Boston area once he, you know, spread his wings and went to college. So there was a shop for sale in Manchester, Vermont, and it was an old timer who was retiring. And so we came up, spent a weekend, looked at the whole operation, thought the price he was asking was a little more than what kind of wanted to spend. So we sort of just forgot about it for a while and we're thinking about other things. I actually went to St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands and looked at a business there, which now I'm thinking about on a day like today might not have been a bad idea. But anyways, so, you know, a few months went by and we got a call from the owner of that shop and he was wondering what happened. They thought things were going well and the negotiations. And I basically said, I thought that the price was a little high. So we came back up, spent another weekend. We threw out a number. He accepted it. Two months later, we were here. So we sold our house, our son moved off, and we found ourselves living in an East Dorset, Vermont, and running a sign shop in Manchester. I mean, it all happened that quick. What year was that? That was 1988. We had the shop for, I don't know, a year and a half, and we were doing, okay, the first year we did really well. I mean, mind you, this was still all hand-lettered stuff, no computers involved, late very labor intensive. And then in 90, like this winter, or yeah, early 90 through the spring of 90, things really hit rock bottom. I think not just in Vermont, but in the Northeast in general, we were going through a mild recession then. And a number of businesses that I did work for closed. A lot of people were not paying their bills. And I just found it really difficult to look to the future and say, how can I sustain this, you know? Through a lot of agonizing moments, my wife and I pretty much decided that maybe it was time we got out of this, you know, before we got too far into debt. And so we closed the shop down. And ironically, she was working here. At Stratton. At the, in the HR department. Mm-hmm. And 
Stratton was had just been sold to a Japanese firm called Victoria. And they hired a new general manager. His name was Hans Geyer. He was from Steamboat. So one of the first things Hans wanted to know was where was the sign shop? Because at Steamboat, they had an in-house sign shop. And he wanted to talk to the sign maker because he had all these ideas he wanted to do. And, you know, his senior leadership team or operations committee or whatever said, well, we don't have one. They asked my wife because they knew that that's what I did for a living. Would your husband ever want to come and work at Stratton? We, we want to create this department. And, you know, timing's everything in life. So I came up here, took a look around. There was no sign shop. There was no space. I, there was a storeroom above the carpenter shop, which became the sign shop. And, you know, 32 plus years, I'm still here. And what are the signs made of? Are they metal? Are they aluminum? Well, that depends. You know, times are changing. Materials are changing. When I first started in the business, most signs, outdoor signs, were made of an overlaid plywood, you know, like a marine-grade plywood with primer and paint and sealed edges and everything. Highway signs, a lot of those are made of aluminum or metal. But we've been kind of delving into some plastics and things like that because they don't rot, they don't break, they they are fade resistant, things like that. Okay. Just trying to make things so they last a little bit longer. This is a very harsh environment for anything really. And the higher up the mountain you go, the the harder it is on the signs. What's the life cycle of a, a trail sign? Our trail signs are made of aluminum with a vinyl background. So there's, we started a new program well over 20 years ago, and the majority of those signs are still up. While we talk about the material of the sign, the way that the letters are put on the sign has also changed. You know, it was hand-painted a yes, lot when yeah. Mike started. Yes. And we have, you know, switched into this vinyl era, but the hand-painted signs will outlast the vinyl no matter what. You know, if, if we had the time, we would hand paint still and those signs would would last, I don't know, twice as long as the vinyl probably. Do you still hand paint? Yeah, I do. You do? Yeah. You what know, kind perfect of example is there's a restaurant coming up out of Manchester called Mistral's. The sign is right on Route 11 and 30. I made that sign 35 years ago, 34 years ago. And it's still there. That's the same sign. And it still looks good. It does. So it's, and it was, you know, multiple layers of paint and hand lettered, and it still looks fresh. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. I didn't know you did that sign. So. What about the sign at the bottom of the access road, like that iconic Stratton sign that you see? Okay, well, that's that's been done twice. You know, there was the original sign in, what, the 60s, whenever that was put up. 61. And then probably, I'm going to say 10, 12 years ago, we redid it. We completely made a brand new one using the old one as a copy. Okay. But I changed the way things, I changed things a little bit. So it's multiple layers of that overlaid plywood that are all epoxy together with a, a boat building glue system. So they and the hangers are embedded inside there in epoxy. So 
the problem with the old one was the hangers were pulling out of the sign because of all the water that was getting over the years down inside there. So it's the old sign with a little bit of a new twist. Okay. Is it hand-painted? Yeah. Well, they're cut-out letters. Okay. Cut-out letters is a cut-out bear logo that is hand-done. I love that sign. Well, it's classic. Absolutely. So, Lauren, you've been here for, what, 12 years? Is that what you said? This is my 11th season. I do the graphic design on the resort, and then I work in the sign shop with Mike. Okay. So tell me how you two work together. We were friends first, I guess. You know, we we were working together, and then one day it was like, oh, Lauren, we really want you to to do more in the sign shop with Mike. And, and from there, I think we have really developed a process over the years and we've gotten so much new equipment and become more efficient. And Mike's knowledge is so much more than mine in the sign world, right? I have this, this graphic background, but Mike holds all of this knowledge of how to make these signs, how big they should be, where they should go. Like all of that is so him. So we really work together. We're always playing ideas off of each other. I'm constantly asking him, do you think this looks good? Should this go here? <laughs> Does it need to be bigger? You know, all of that. I need him for that. I don't know where I would be without him. And we've, you know, we moved from this vinyl cutter from 1990, basically, when you were hired into, you know, this era with a a large scale printer and vinyl cutter and a laminator. Not to say that we don't use old techniques still, you know, there's a gorgeous sign in the base lodge that's all gold leaf that Mike did a couple of years ago that is just beautiful. You did some signs last year at Sun Bowl that are carved letters and hand-painted. The club has a lot of nice hand-painted, hand-done signs so that art still you know, lives on strong here. I think we try to keep it alive. It's important. you know. It's part of the history of, of signs, but it's part of the history of Stratton, that, that homemade feeling, that strong outlasting, you know, it's going to, it's going to be there for a while. So, so I do want to add to that four or five years ago, Mm. I started teaching Lauren how to hand letter. Oh, really? Yeah. And because I had the background in in teaching other people how to learn the skill, she was the perfect student and she's done unbelievable. Did you ask Lauren to? She asked me. About the hand lettering. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we got to talking about it. Like I learned his background, you know, you you taught sign painting and all of that. And I watched a movie that you had suggested. That's right. And that's how I like watch it. And I was like, I I need to do this. And then I asked you like, do you think you could teach me? And then we just started. Yeah. And we would do an hour here, an hour there. I would start with just basic things painting strokes on a piece of paper, circles, just to get that brush feel and brush control. Because it's different than, it's a different technique than an artist may use on an oil painting. I had been interested in in pinstriping. You know, I grew up with a family of motorcycles and pinstriping was always kind of a thing. And I have this weird memory of my mom getting her car pinstriped like way, way back when, when I was little. And I can remember watching the guy and being like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then like never saw it again pretty much, right? You know, like moved on from there and then motorcycles came about and 
that's definitely a world where it lives strongly still. And then, you know, went to school for design and it's so digital now that I was in that world. And then when I got here, I didn't really know about sign painting till I met Mike. Mike in himself is a very interesting person. I think he's filled with stories and just so much knowledge in there that we could go on for years and years of lessons and it still wouldn't know everything. Since you arrived in 1990, is there a particular sign that you've worked on that's just you're most proud of or that's, you know, is really prominently displayed or? You know, not that I can think of. I think some of the ones I'm the most proud of is when, you know, we used to have the Burton U.S. Open Snowboard Championship here for years and years and years. And every year I got involved in that. And every year there was, we used to have a large sign post system down at the bottom of the access road on the other side of the road from the main sign where we would feature events and things like that. So those Burton signs were so creative and so much fun and they were all hand done. You know, I would get the artwork from somebody at Burton, you know, and then I would paint these signs and had a lot to do with that event. I think that was probably some of the fun. Those are really fun times. You know, and we, I watched that event grow every year to the point where the last couple of years, it was like, whoa, you know, it was, you know, with Ross Powers and people like that. And, you know, it was just really, it was a fun event to be involved with. Definitely. What happened to the signs? Are they still kicking around here? Well, there was a, <laughs> there was a person that worked here at one point and decided he wanted to use those basically wallpaper his basement. So he ended up taking them all. And, you know, in retrospect, would have liked to have kept those all. Because those are things that maybe Komet would have liked to, you know. But, but, you know, we've had some pretty good events here. We we had a uh, a Volvo tennis tournament years ago for a number of years. And then that was followed by a women's professional golf tournament for probably four, five, six years we did that. And then we had a women's pro tennis tournament here at one point. So those events were really exhausting, but really just fun, especially that Acura tennis tournament. That was a startup project for me, and I worked countless hours on that. Was that the Volvo or the? No, the Acura. Oh, Acura, was was that later? Yeah, that was around 94, I'm gonna say, in that that range. We did that two years in a row. Exhausting, but rewarding, very rewarding. To look back at a major televised event and to know that I had made every single sign from a name tag on the back of a chair to huge scoreboards and everything, all by myself. So, How many signs do you think you've made at Stratton? I don't know. (laughs) That would be a hard one because we have gone through a lot of changes and we have, you know, because it's a harsh environment, there's X amount of damage that happens to these things. There's theft. It's got to be in the tens of thousands. You mentioned Kim at hand earlier. She heads up the Stratton archives. And it's a, they had, actually, when we had our, was it our 50th? Mm-hmm. They had a, a little display in one of the shops in the village. And it was amazing the things that she had 
from opening day right through today, you know. Yeah. So I've always, if, if there's anything that I've always thought would be of value to her, I've put it aside. If you look at that picture, there's on the railing of all, that went all around the base lodge, there were these hand-painted plaques of different cantons in Switzerland and Austria, and, and I gave her a number of those, you know, uh, things like that, things that have kind of hark back to that Austrian beginning. Anything that has to do with that, she's really interested in. They were taking down the Birken House years ago and then the lift line lodge, the main lodge. And I just, I got everything I could find that Emo Heinrich had anything to do with or, you know, that was part of that history of the original Stratton. And then even now, I just gave her a couple of signs that were the uh, tournament office signs that I made for those two, the golf and tennis tournaments that we had back in the 90s. She was very appreciative. I found a sign oh, a couple of years ago that she has now. When they built the sports center, John Newcomb was like a guest instructor there. So they named it, it was the Newcomb Tennis Center. So she has that original sign, things like that. Anything I can find that I think has value to her, you know, like that, I put it aside. Because I do recycle a lot of things, you know, to save money too, you know, rather than just tossing something in a dumpster. You know, I can strip the lettering off or I can sand it down and repaint it. So, but like I said, anything that I feel has any kind of historical value to her, you know, and I've known her for 35, 30 some years. Are signs from like the 70s still here in some way? Like we're, we're before Kimmet got involved or before you were here, like did you come here and find signs from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Although sometime in the early 80s, they had a pretty good sign revamp oh, okay. here. Oh, uh-huh. So a lot of the things that were here, I don't, I don't know what happened yeah. to them you know, the original stuff. But I do find things now and then. Where do you find them? It, it's funny. We found a really nice old original Stratton logo said Ski Touring Center upstairs in the base lodge, you know, way up in the, the somewhere up in there, you know. Just take, one of the guys I work with, the, one of the carpenters was doing some work there and he asked me if I wanted this sign. And I was like, oh yeah. You know, that was a sign from probably the 60s yeah. that had just been lost somewhere in a closet or whatever. Right. In your world, is there anything up in your closets there, Adele? Do you ever? There used to be. We did do a, a clean out a couple of years ago. But the thing that happens is I think signs maybe get taken down and not by us and they just get stashed somewhere, you know, so they sit in a closet for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden you clean out that closet and, oh, wow, look at this and, you know, things like that. So I'm sure there's still hidden gems. Yeah. I, I, tucked I away so. somewhere around the resort. Yeah. You know, I think now, too, that, you know, back in the 70s or 80s, you know, people probably didn't think much about collecting signs. I mean, no. now people are like, oh, I want those vintage signs. But back then, 
you know, you probably didn't, didn't think much think of about it. it at all. Right. No, there was a disposable, except for Kimmet. <laughs> yeah, it was a disposable <laughs> item. You know, you totally. Just, and you know, out with the old and with the new type yeah. mentality. Yeah. yeah, Mike, when you're not working, do you notice signs everywhere? All too much. Really? Yeah. I mean, and that's how I. That's one of the things what I got interested in. Even as a young kid, I used to drive my parents crazy because we would go somewhere, and I would look at a sign and say, "That doesn't look right to me." You know, something weird about that letter or that the way that's done. I mean, it started way, way back then. What do you think about when you're making a sign? Is it a moment of zen, or is it like, "Oh, I got to finish the sign, or I have to get this just right"? Or no, is it- no, I, I, it puts me in a good place. It definitely does. You know, I, th- I think one of the things, and Lauren can attest to this, that it's very gratifying because there's a finished product. You know, a lot of people work in a world where there is nothing at the end. You know, they finish the job and that's it. But this is so visual that it, when you're finished with the job, you can stand back like an artist can look at a painting or whatever or a sculpture. But I get joy out of that when I when I finish a job and I'm happy with it. Yes, you know, I look back and say, "Wow, that was really that's that was fun." Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. I'm Erica Housekeeper. I'd like to thank the many people who helped me research this episode, including Kimmet, Mike, and Lauren. I also want to recognize Brian Rivard at Ski Vermont. Adrian Isaac at the National Ski Areas Association, and Leah McDonald of Intermountain Enterprises, a company in British Columbia that makes signs for many U.S. ski resorts. Thanks again for listening. You can find more Vermont stories and podcast episodes on my website, happyvermont.com. Wishing you all the best in 2023, and I hope you can get out and enjoy the mountains this winter.